And we're hearing from Mark 1, 14 down to verse 28. This gives us a measure of Christ's ministry and the message that he proclaimed about the kingdom of God. So hear the word of God, Mark 1, verse 14. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. And then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Heaven and earth will pass away long before the word of God shall ever pass away. In fact, it will never pass away. And we can thank God for that. Uh, It's a text that really expresses something of the nature and message of God's kingdom right now. And the one who is the king uh, of that kingdom and the work that he has come to do in uh, demolishing the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of men, if you will. And uh, there's a lot in there. I'm not preaching the text. We'll reference it lightly. But we're dealing with a very important subject, and that is the subject of the means of grace. The things that God has given to us to be used and to, to be exercised in the life of the church that express to us uh, by, by doing them, God comes and, and brings to us the, the blessings of Christ's redemption. And the means of grace being chiefly God's word read, but especially preached. The sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper and prayer. And as I mentioned before, our time is spent predominantly on the matter of prayer because that is our daily lifeline and communion with God that He wishes to have exercised in our life. We've talked often about the challenges we have with prayer. 
And we've communicated often how prayer is a very real labor. Uh, We've also dealt with those areas where we often say, well, uh, I don't know how to pray, or what what to pray for people, or uh, I don't know how to pray with other people. And it's really intimidating to uh, express our voices out loud when we come together. And, And that's why we come and we look at the Lord's Prayer, because... We're not alone in that. The apostles themselves struggled with those things. They would watch Jesus pray. And we can even see a measure of that here. Even as he taught, everyone understood. He had an authority. He had a manner that we're not accustomed to seeing. Many of the Jews in in Jesus' day admired the Pharisees and those who could go out and stand on the corners and and pray and, and they would draw that attention to themselves and they thought, wow, here are the holy men of God. And Jesus comes and says, no, <laughs> no, that's not what prayer is about. They're praying to be seen and to be heard. There's a hypocrisy of prayer that has enveloped them that does not bring to them that blessed communion with the Father in heaven. And that does not bring to them that encouragement and life in their souls. And so the apostles heard those things. And then they saw Jesus praying again and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And and He gave us the Lord's Prayer. What we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, etc., etc. And so that, that meets us and it meets our responses when we say, I don't know how to pray for someone. Well, yes you do. <laughs> it's right here. You just need to expand upon it. You need to learn what it's all about. And that's why with the Lord's Prayer and those six general petitions, we are looking at the larger catechism. It's printed on the back of your bulletin for you to follow along. You can look in your hymn book at the shorter catechism. But the catechism comes and expresses the details that each one of these petitions expresses. And it's it's abundant, as we're going to see again, with with this focus on your kingdom come. And, And the big thing about prayer, and the big thing about Christ teaching you to pray, is that you begin with God. As much as you may have things in your life that you want the Lord to deal with and to help you with, God says, I'm sorry, the Lord Jesus said in teaching us to pray, first focus on God. Put your mind to where God is because He is doing a work beyond your thoughts and beyond your ways. And you want to be mindful even as you would bring all the cares and concerns of your heart before Him, you would be mindful of God's glory. Hallow be your, be your name. God, hallow Your name in my life and circumstances. Let Your name and glory be above all else. And, and secondly, as, as we come to it now, Your kingdom come. God is at work even in our lives, for His kingdom's sake. Do you think of that in your prayers? We prayed for people bowed down with infirmities, some nearing death. God, Your kingdom come. Let it come to them. Your will be done. And it's after we have that focus on God 
we focus on our needs, our daily bread, our debts, our deliverance. It's an order to prayer. And that's how uh, the disciples, when they, when they wanted to learn to pray, they could then begin to see a great distinction from true and sincere prayer to the Lord and what they were used to seeing from the hypocrites. It's a big thing. So let's consider this prayer and this petition, your kingdom come, and you turn on the back of your bulletin to question 191 of the larger catechism. What do we pray for in the second petition? In the second petition, which is, thy kingdom come, acknowledging ourselves and all mankind to be by nature under the dominion of sin and Satan, we pray that the kingdom of sin and Satan may be destroyed, the gospel propagated throughout the world, the Jews called, the fullness of the Gentiles brought in, the church furnished with all gospel officers and ordinances, purged from corruption, countenanced and maintained, by the civil magistrate, there's, there's a prayer, isn't there, for today, you know, for our land, for Canada. And that the ordinances of Christ may be purely dispensed and made effectual to the converting of those that are yet in their sins and the confirming, comforting, and building up of those that are already converted. That Christ would rule in our hearts here and hasten the time of His second coming, and are reigning with Him forever, and that He would be pleased to so, so to exercise the kingdom of His power in all the world, as may be best conduced to those ends. It's quite a bit, isn't it? <laughs> and it takes those three words, Your kingdom come, and, and it just sets before us what they all encompass within Scripture. You don't have it there, but if you were to look at a larger catechism with all the Scripture proof texts, uh, the number of proof texts with it is just as, as large as the answer to that question is. There's so much in Scripture that deals with the kingdom of God. And here we are learning to pray. Your kingdom come. And the first thing that we see, even in the life of Jesus, as He went about to begin His ministry, He came with that message. The kingdom of God has come. And that kingdom had a message. The gospel. The grace of God Almighty to come to wretched sinners here on earth and say, I desire to save you from your sins. Believe and repent. Isn't that amazing? The amazing grace of our God. But we're reminded immediately, both with the catechism question, but Jesus' ministry, that, that we are faced with a battle. When we are praying, your kingdom come, we are understanding that as God's people, we have been engaged in a warfare, a very real battle. And that's what Mark brings out immediately as Jesus began to gather his followers and he goes to a synagogue to teach. He's immediately confronted with his enemy. And the battle of the kingdoms, if you will, begins 
We have that. And, and we're just going to have a, a brief moment just to understand the, the distinction between the kingdom of sin and Satan and the kingdom of God, Christ, and heaven. Because that's, what, that's what's pitted against each other. The kingdom of this world, of man, Satan, whatever title you want to give to it, versus the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of heaven. They're all one and the same. They're not individual. We're not, uh, as we want to say, we're not dispensationalists. It's all the same kingdom. And it's just referencing the distinctiveness of the Father and the Son and the Spirit in relation to that. But this kingdom battle, this kingdom warfare was first realized in Adam. It was promoted even more at the Tower of Babel when man got together and said what? Let's build for ourselves a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves distinct from God. And man began to elevate himself and worship himself, the creature, and not the Creator who is blessed forever. It is best expressed by Pharaoh who said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey His voice. The kingdom of this world, the kingdom of sin and Satan, looks uh, in hostility to that obedience and, and rebels against the, the Maker, the Creator, God Himself. And this kingdom of the world uh, has a prince, Satan, a ruler of darkness who holds people in blindness, Have you ever wondered why it is so hard to plant and build a church? Why it is so hard in evangelizing to people that they are so stubborn in their unbelief? Have you ever heard people who said, look, I've I've evangelized, I've spoken the gospel to so and so and I've done it a lot and they still don't believe it. This isn't working. (laughs) Well, of course, it's hard. (laughs) They are blinded by Satan. And if we think that it is merely by our words and our presentation that they are going to be converted, we've missed the significance again of praying, Thy kingdom come. God, You must do a work here that is beyond human endeavor. I'm praying for Your kingdom to come to this soul who now knows what You've done for Christ. You see, this prayer should actually occupy a great portion of our prayer life. Not only does it have a prince, it has subjects. Sinful mankind who hold contempt for God, who walk by that law, I will do what is right in my own eyes. And it has an end. The kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of man, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of sin... It has an end. Destruction under the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And, and, and I said that before you because in your prayers, think about what needs to be destroyed, is being destroyed. And then we have the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom of absolute righteousness and holiness. 
Even in the Old Testament, God was preparing His people for an understanding that within His kingdom, there shall by no means be anything that enters it, that would defile it, or that causes an abomination or a lie. Between Isaiah 32 and 66 and Revelation 21, God is making it clear that His kingdom is one of absolute righteousness and holiness. Because that, that's God. That's who He is. And again, that affects the way we pray. The way we pray for ourselves and one another. The holiness and the righteousness that we need that, that sets us apart from a world where they are defying God. And doing what is right in their own eyes. It has a supreme king. King of kings, Lord of lords, God's only begotten son. Who was, is, and will ever be the only true king. And who has been established by God Almighty. Who has been exalted to that place of the highest of heavens where He is seated and is ruling and is preparing to come again to judge the nations. That is King Jesus. And God's kingdom has its subjects. Those who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have called upon Him for salvation and confess Him as Lord those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life and who have come under that redeeming blood of Jesus. Is that you? Do you see yourself as a subject of Christ's kingdom? And even there, as as you are seeing these, these circumstances, you begin to see, even in praying for yourself, it's kingdom-mindedness. Lord, how my heart needs to be guarded from straying from Your kingdom into this world, from being lured away from Your glories and Your righteousness, Your truth and Your wisdom, and, and desiring the foolishness of this world. You see, this, this understanding frames the way that we pray. And the best thing about the kingdom of God is that it has no end. It doesn't end. Jesus shall reign in absolute righteousness and holiness forever and ever and ever. His kingdom shall have no end. And doesn't that give you joy and hope in your prayers? You see how how it affects us. And and having said all that, uh, in our remaining time, we're just going to uh, consider those those points that are there about, about praying your kingdom come. That it has come with Christ, first of all. And Jesus made that declaration. The kingdom of God is at hand. And And... And where we're going with this is that when we pray this prayer, we are focused not just on what is to come, but we are focused on the reality of now. The kingdom of God has come in Christ. In the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus with His whole earthly ministry was showing to the people how the kingdom of God is now present in the world. 
And He has come as the King of this kingdom to do what Israel continually failed to do, and that is to bring forth a right and glorious conception of the kingdom of God. They failed at every measure. Their prophets prophesied falsely at times or disobeyed God. Their priests were often uh, overshadowed by their desires to be like the nations around them and their kings so foolishly abandoned the righteous ways of God. But now Christ has come. And in His earthly ministry, Jesus fulfilled the righteousness that His kingdom demands. Jesus came in in full obedience to God, obeying Him in all areas, and, and even to that end of being the sacrifice for His people. In all of His ministry, He was showing how He would establish the kingdom of God on the earth and grow and build it. He showed Himself to be the one who had power to overcome the miseries of sin. How comforting is that to your hearts? (laughs) That Christ is able to speak the peace of forgiveness to you. Let your kingdom come. (laughs) You know. He has the power to overcome Satan. We feel the oppression of evil. And we just uh, prayed for just a few things that have gone on within the last week or so. And and the the multitude of evil that, that goes on. He has come. He has come to destroy the works of the devil. How comforting is that when we think things are just getting worse and worse and worse and God isn't doing anything. Oh, your kingdom has come. And Christ, Christ is overcoming Satan. Do you believe that? We have to. I mean, that's what John writes in 1 John uh, 3. He says, and God has sent His Son to destroy The works of the devil. And Christ has come and shown that power. Shown the power that he has to restore life to man. To open the way to the Father. And even more. He has shown. And this is is where we are praying in the now for his kingdom to come. uh, To come and meet people who are yet lost and dead in his sins. That Jesus has come and through His death and resurrection, He has made that way open into the kingdom of God. In conquering, as as our King, in conquering all of our enemies in His death and by His resurrection. Satan being vanquished, death itself being destroyed, God's wrath being quenched, our sinful nature being put to death. It's amazing work that Christ has accomplished in His earthly ministry. How by the cross He has overcome every enemy. And again, how comforting that is to you. When you are praying, let your kingdom come. You're even praying for yourself, God, as Satan would accuse and 
and, and exalt my sinfulness like He did with Job. Come and bring Your mercies and Your grace that they may abound more in my heart and that I may not despair of my sins. Let Your kingdom come. When death would strive to lay hold of us and the fear of death meets us in so many ways in our life with so many people. God, let your kingdom come. Let the hope of the gospel itself speak that liberty and peace that we have in Christ. That even in our grief and mourning for a loved one who in Christ has gone on to glory, that it would not be in hopelessness. You know how much we need that? Or when even in our own hearts, condemnation would overwhelm our conscience. And the justice that Christ accomplished on our behalf with His Gospel comes and says, Peace be with you. I have overcome. It's the victory we have in Christ. And, and, and we use that understanding of how the kingdom of God has come with Christ in the proclamation of the gospel, knowing that there we have received mercy, forgiveness, that we have received uh, undeserved grace and favor from God. That He is ruling in our hearts by His gospel. The kingdom of God has come. It has come with Christ. And if we are in Christ, we are in His kingdom. Praise be to God. And the kingdom of God is also advancing in the world today. Do you believe that? It is hard to see, isn't it? But it is advancing. And it is advancing in the building of His church. And maybe God in His divine wisdom and in His uh, fearful judgments is turning His eye away from the nations of North America and looking elsewhere in the world. That could be, but He's still building His church and, and by all means of reading and things that I have seen from other reports is that the, the number of people coming to faith in the world today is, is beyond measure. However that may be and however skeptical we may be about, about those numbers, what is true is that God has said in His Word that when He has given His Son sent His Son to accomplish that work of our redemption, that He has also laid upon His shoulders the government of His kingdom. And Christ is the One who is ruling and governing His kingdom today. And He has declared, you know, the Great Commission. He has declared, I have all authority. There is not a nation of this world that can stand against the prospering of the gospel of Jesus Christ because He holds all authority. And that's why He says to us, go and baptize and teach because He is with us. He is building His kingdom. And that's the thing to see, that it's not 
It's not just simply building the kingdom by winning a sinner here and another sinner over here. It's by building His kingdom, by making His church more and more visible in the world. It's not outside of the church that the kingdom of God is seen. It's in the church that the the visible expression of God's kingdom is known. And that's why even our catechism question says, when you are praying your kingdom come, you are praying for the church to have its gospel ministers. You're praying for the gospel and the ordinances to be conducted so that people can see how God is blessing His people with salvation. You're praying for the church to be pure, to progress in her labors, for Christ to rule in people's hearts. The kingdom of God is advancing in the world. And that encourages our hearts. When we pray, your kingdom come, we're saying, oh God, thank you that you are doing this work. It's a gradual work. In Matthew 13, Jesus told the parable of the mustard seed. That though it is the least of all seeds, when it is planted and when it grows, it becomes greater than all the herbs. It becomes a tree where the birds are able to nest within it. And he was speaking about his kingdom. My, it may seem small. It may seem small to us here in comparison to the numbers that exist even within the CMA area of Kingston, Christ church here is pretty small. It's really small. But His church is here. And it's a seed that's planted. And it's a lampstand that's been lit. And He is growing it. And that becomes part of our prayers for the work of the kingdom to continue. Because it's not yet complete. You know, one of the tragedies of churches when they get larger than 150 and that that's that seems to be that the number is that their outreach becomes less in a lot of places because they see the need of nurturing the people within even more and that that comfort comfortableness of growing beyond that becomes more challenging and we become short-sighted pray for the advancing of Christ's church in the world. And and as you're praying for that, just understand that the way God's kingdom advances in this world is not just gradually, but Paul reminds us it's through much tribulation. That that it's going to be a hard work seeing the kingdom of God grow in the world. Paul said in wrote in, in Acts 14.22, just reminding the church that it is through much tribulation that we enter the kingdom. Much. Not a little bit. And tribulation has its purposes. And even as we are praying, your kingdom come, 
and we are met with tribulation. We are met with those trials and hardships. We're met with persecution and suffering. We're met with various trials that would wear away our desire to continue on in this progress. Understand that without tribulation, the church would become content. <laughs> that, that's, that's the biggest thing that, that God teaches us in His Word. You ever see that in your own life where you think things are getting along pretty good and then suddenly something happens and something else happens? Or You know what? God is doing that with a purpose. You become comfortable with your faith. And in our comfort, we usually become slack or we start wandering and we don't realize it. We love the things of this world more and the things of God's kingdom less. We become unconcerned with our sins and even more we do not long for the glory of Christ's reign. And it's through much tribulation that we enter the kingdom of God. And we need to pray not only is it advancing within the church, but that it's advancing within our own hearts. And that brings us to the last point where we are actually praying your kingdom come. My dear friends, do you pray that every day? Do you pray and step back? And some of you are thinking, probably, well, look, I'm just a young person. I still got a lot of life left to live. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily want it to be over tomorrow. (laughs) Not until you get a little older, a little more tired with sin, a little more tired with wandering, a little more tired in that pursuit of righteousness and holiness, a little more tired of watching people die, do we tend to pray more earnestly? Your kingdom come. And the promise is with that, that it will come. It's here now, it's advancing, but it will come. And it will come in full glory. And we are praying for that every day. One of the reasons I brought up about Indonesia, because probably none of us here have have any real uh, impact from what went on there. Doesn't our hearts break when we read of such careless death? Don't you pray, God, bring an end to this. You look at your own heart. Aren't you longing for that day? When you will not sin anymore. (laughs) Your thoughts, your words, your conduct, aren't you longing for that day? You know, congregation, my favorite line in that hymn to be able to love God with an unsinning heart. You see, when we stop praying, your kingdom come, it is often a sign within our own souls that we're quite content with where we are and who we are. And that's why the Lord says, pray this. Because in praying for this, you want God's righteousness to rule. You want sin to be vanquished completely. You want your salvation to be full But most of all, you want Christ's glory to be fully known in all of creation. 
And the question becomes in our own hearts, do I really want this? I hope you do. That's what we're praying. Because He is coming. We made that confession. He is coming with judgment. That is, the, the great white throne of Christ uh, will, will be set up and He will call forth all of humanity that ever was, that ever is. And they will stand before them and they will receive judgment from the Lord. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will know and experience the glory of God within their very being when He completes our redemption in that day of resurrection. When we are glorified in the, in the, in the Lord Jesus fully and completely and we will shine forth the removal of all the traces of sin in our life will be gone. No more pain, no more death, no more sorrow. It's a kingdom of life and joy and blessing and glory. And a kingdom that will establish the righteousness of God fully in all of the earth. And we worship Him in complete holiness and purity. What a day that will be. (laughs) And you know, that's how Scripture ends. It's the amazing thing about Revelation. It ends with John seeing the glory of the fullness of God's kingdom come in Christ in all, all of its righteousness and holiness and truth. And as John saw this beautiful vision of the kingdom of God, it's the Holy Spirit in Revelation 22, 17. It's the Holy Spirit who's the first to say, Come, Lord! (laughs) Come! And then the bride of Christ echoes it. Come! And Jesus responds to the Spirit and to the bride. Surely I am coming quickly. And John responds and it closes out Scripture. Even so, come Lord Jesus. That's how Scripture closes. (laughs) My friends, do your prayers long for this? Are you praying in that earnestness, looking for, longing for, calling for the kingdom of God to come? It's a vital prayer. May the Spirit grant us the passion and zeal of our Lord and His Spirit to pray. Your kingdom come.